0: Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Eric Siderud. I'm the pastor at our Riverdale campus. Uh, before that, I was the pastor at the Brigham City campus. I've been on staff for uh, almost six years. I've been a part of Alpine for a long time. And, and I get to come and and uh, start our new series here today in Jonah. And a lot of people have probably heard about Jonah, the book of Jonah. It's a small book in the Old Testament uh, it's only, I think, four chapters long, and, and what makes this book so famous is probably what you see from that graphic. There's this giant fish, and everybody's probably seen the, the little cartoons or pictures of a man who was swallowed by a fish, and, he, and he's hanging out in there with like a little candle or something, you know, trying to write, write this book. You know, a lot of people think he wrote the book in the fish, and, and so for a lot of people, I think your natural reaction is to just dismiss that this is some kind of fairy tale or something. You know, and at first glance, you think it's just some fantastic story about a man named Jonah. And it's a fun thing to talk about in kids' church. But I'm here to tell you today that this book, actually, is true history. Um, It's it's interesting that uh, in several different ancient Uh, stories and cultures, they have a a man being swallowed by a fish story, actually, that you can go read in all kinds of ancient writing, and to me, that actually proves that this story is even more true, because what happens is, is that things actually happen in history, but uh, religious cultures will glom onto stories and then make them their own. As you've probably heard about, you know, all kinds of different mythology out there that you know, might be similar to what's in the Bible. I I believe those things prove the stories to be true. Um, And certainly, if you believe that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, then certainly he has control over fish and even people and storms as well. And so, I would say that this story isn't just about a fish and a man, but it's about someone greater it's about God himself, God Almighty, the graciousness of God and his, his sovereignty, his, his ability to rule and reign over all and have control over all things to cause them to do his plan and his purpose. And I hope it brings you comfort in that when, when life is kind of a struggle or a trial, you're wondering, where is God at? What is he doing? We can always know that he is at work, and I think we'll get to understand that a little bit more in this book, the book of Jonah. And the big idea is, what, is kind of what I just said. The story of Jonah is about the God of miracles, who's willing to let everyone off the hook for their sins. You see what we did there? Giant fish, hook, Right? <laughs> Anyway, yeah, as great as our little, you know, points and slides and sentences are, you'll probably forget this when you leave. But really, this is, this is kind of a, a fun way to describe that God is a gracious God. This book is about a miraculous God. And so, real quick, I just want to give you an overview about Jonah. Who is Jonah? He's an Old Testament prophet, probably somewhere in the 700s B.C., and he's part of the Bible uh, called the minor prophets, and that doesn't mean that he's lesser than. It just means that there are a portion of books in the Old Testament that are like only a few chapters long, and that's why they call them the minor prophets. Not that their story isn't as great as some of the other prophets. Um, what is a prophet? A prophet isn't just a guy who tells the future, okay? Okay. More than, what that, more than that, a prophet is someone who has been called by God to deliver a message. So many times in the Bible you'll hear these prophets say, "...thus saith the Lord." And oftentimes, it's God trying to get a message to his own people saying, hey, you need to turn from your sin. You need to turn back from the way that you've been going. If you're a follower of me, then let me remind you of what I said earlier and try to get you back on the right track. And prophets then are supposed to be these bold guys that stand up and say the unpopular thing, the thing that not everybody wants to hear. And, and ultimately, if you go back and look at history, Most of the prophets were hated by God, his own people. Most of the prophets were killed and martyred because sometimes the message that God had for his people wasn't about gumdrops and lollipops, but it was about you need to repent from your sins, right? You need to turn from the way that you're living. Uh, You haven't been following me. Maybe you've been hypocritical. And so we're going to learn, and I hope today that you are able to place yourself kind of in the position of two different people in this story. First, Jonah, as the prophet, if you're a Christian, you're called to go say, here's what the word of the Lord says. You've probably got people in your family wondering, questioning right now. Like, if the Bible says this, but here's what our culture is doing, what's true, what's right, you know, what's the moral thing, what's moral truth, what are the moral absolutes? I know that you're dealing with that. I deal with this all the time as a preacher. I stand up and I preach from God's word and sometimes people don't like what I have to say and sometimes people do, you know, but, but that's all a part of being a messenger of God. I think we're all called to do that, but I also want you to put your place in the position of the people who he was called to deliver this message to. That was a, a, a nation called or Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, which is modern day Iraq, actually, in Mosul, Iraq, Nineveh was this terrible city who God said, I need you to go deliver this message to these terrible people. And this is interesting because it's the first time God actually ever um, uses a prophet to go speak to a group of people other than Israel, other than his own people. And so what God says to Jonah is, I want you to go preach to Nineveh, to tell them that destruction is coming because they were a brutal terrible nation. I mean they were famous for for doing some terrible things to their enemies, you know, bringing back corpses and 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 stringing up all along their camps and stuff to just prove how kind of how how kind of depraved they really are. They were a sinful nation. They were constantly in war with Israel, trying to take over Israel. Time and time again in history, you'll see this nation of Assyria is trying to take over Israel and and oppressing them. And so certainly, you would think that Jonah's like, okay, yeah, this is great, I'll go preach to them. But that's not what happens. Jonah actually runs away. He runs in the opposite direction because he doesn't want to go preach to them. And not because he's scared, but because he doesn't want these people to hear the message of God so that they have the chance to change. So Jonah is like the world's worst missionary. <laughs> if if you, were, you were called to do this job to share God's message, but he really didn't like this group of people, probably because of the oppression that he felt growing up in Israel and Assyria. And so he was so kind of depraved himself as a prophet of God, he says, I don't like these people. He's got this prejudice towards Nineveh. He says, I don't want them to get saved. I, I want it to be, come up as a surprise that you just destroy them, because that's that's what would be right. But God has a different plan in mind that kind of shocks him, and he, and, and it just rubs him the wrong way. And here's kind of the verse that sums that up, why we understand why Jonah runs away, and it's in chapter four, verse two. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. So so Jonah explains why he did not want to go preach this message of destruction to Nineveh because he knew that God might forgive them, and he just couldn't handle that. He was, again, very bad at his job as a prophet. He couldn't go share the message of God. And so, for you and for me, you know, as Jonah is asking, why would you be merciful and compassionate to such a terrible group of people? I would have you today ask yourself the same question, but maybe about other people that you don't like, out there in the world, but even more importantly than that, about yourself. You know, why, why would God choose them, and why would God choose me? Why would he be gracious to me? You know, part of my story is, this is a question I ask myself all the time, because I can't quite put it together why God loves me, because I've been a wretch my entire life, you know. Interestingly enough, I, uh, I was baptized in this building um, at 10 years old, before it was ever uh, Alpine, it was Wasatch and, and Pastor Ross was my pastor growing up, my mom still goes here, uh, Bonnie, many of you probably know her, okay, but I was I was baptized here and I had this zeal and this passion for God, this is why this story really relates to me a lot. Uh, I had this zeal and a passion for God at a young age, and I loved the gospel, and I loved the Bible stories in kids' church, and my mom even said, and I never, I didn't ever believe her, it never clicked, but she said, you're going to be a pastor one day, and I'm like, okay. I forgot about that. In my teenage years and early 20s, I kind of did run from God in my own sin, although I had the in in my heart, I wanted to follow God, but yet... I was stuck in my flesh. I was stuck in my, my original nature, which was wanting uh, pleasure, passion to fulfill these evil desires that were in me, you know, wanting to fit in with the crowd in school, wanting to to have uh, popularity, be the, the cool guy at the party. I, I fell into all kinds of, you know, addiction in my teenage and early 20s and and I was as far as God, or far from God as I felt like I possibly could be. But at a moment in time, um, through a lot of discipline, through a lot of choices that I made that brought pain into my own life, God was able to use all of that and bring me back to Him, but bring me back to Him in such a way, through all of these teaching lessons that He gave me, in such a way that uh, I don't know if I hadn't gone through all that stuff, I wouldn't, I, if I would love God as much as I do right now. And so that's why as we get into this story of Jonah, I, I really feel like maybe you have a story that you need to think about. You've been running from God. You don't understand why he's picked you or chosen you or loves you. You can't seem to get away from him he continuously pulls you back. You probably started out in faith as a child, and, and you, you drifted away, but for whatever reason, your own kids are saying, Mom, Dad, we need to go back to church, or something like that. Whatever it is, you feel this draw and this pull. Well, I would just challenge you that I hope that you can see yourself in the story of Jonah because God says this. Paul says to uh, um, us, to the Romans, and he quotes something that he said to Moses in the Old Testament. He said, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So God, ultimately, if he loves you, he will grab you. He will come and get you. Maybe he'll cause a big fish to come get you and to to set you back on the right track. But that's really kind of what we're going to look at today is what happens in Jonah's life. We're going to look at the first chapter of Jonah when Jonah ran from God, and as I, I said before, Jonah's a terrible missionary, a terrible pastor, a terrible prophet, but yet God still wanted to use this guy, and so you're going to see all this, this disciplinary action um, in Jonah's life to try to get him back to doing what God has called him to do. Interestingly enough, I first want to point out that that Jonah started out positive as a as a prophet, he had a message that he liked, and so for us the same thing is true. Sometimes we love God's message and we run to Him. This is interesting. If we go back to Second Kings in chapter fourteen, it says Jeroboam the second recovered the territories of Israel just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah the son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-hepher. For the Lord saw the bitter suffering of everyone in Israel, and that there was no one in Israel, slave or free, to help them. So this was at a time where Jonah was used, before the book of Jonah was written, Jonah was used as a prophet to deliver a good message. You guys are going to be saved. So he was like, of course, if I'm going to go share a positive message, sign me up. That's easy, right? Right? Like for us, too, you know, when talking to our family members and friends, we're like, yeah, we want to tell all the the good news about God. It's easy to do that when everything's positive. But the problem is, is sometimes when we leave out the bad news, people don't understand the good news. You have to understand the bad news to understand the good news. And so for a lot of us, I think we would probably, if we're going to take inventory about what kind of preachers we like to listen to or what kind of messages we like to listen to, uh, it would be kind of like Jonah here. Like, he loves talking about the, the good, encouraging stuff. But when the hard message comes, uh, we don't want to have to deal with that. That's somebody else's job. That's not my job. If I got to talk about the hard truth, uh, just take me off the list of serving God because that's too uncomfortable. They probably favored him, they probably loved him through a party, right? They, they threw a party because he had a good message for Israel. Um, but he was forgotten, because if we look in this, the New Testament, um, when Jesus comes, this is this is like 750 years later, Jesus comes, and Jesus is from Nazareth, and that, that little city, uh, Gath Heifer, is right there in Nazareth, by the way, so... So he was basically from Nazareth, which is right around the Sea of Galilee. Well, Jesus comes from the same place, and he reveals himself to Nathanael in chapter 1 of John, and Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? (laughs) Philip said to him, come and see. Uh, And then later in John 7, as the Pharisees are talking together, they replied to this, this guy who was bringing some stuff up. He said, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So in fact, a prophet did arise from Galilee and a prophet did come from Nazareth, but he must have been so forgettable and so unmemorable because of his weakness and his failure to share the message. Which leads me to my next point, which is sometimes we reject God's messaging and we run from him. When he tells us to do something hard or it goes against our feelings or it goes against our opinions, we don't want to go his way. That's our natural uh, inclination, I think, in all of humanity. But I want you to ask yourself that question. Have you ever ran from God? You knew what the right thing to do was, but you did the opposite thing. That's what sin is, by the way. Anytime you knew what was right, what God said in his word, but yet you fought for the other way, and you went the other way. All of us are guilty of that. All of us have done that. Jonah is a story of a man who has done that as well. Let's look at the first three verses. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord. Now, this is interesting. You know, like, for us, it's hard to relate, because we we would love to go share a message of reconciliation if we knew that God was going to save a certain people. Now, we don't always know that. Sometimes we just have to get up and share a truth. We got we to speak to a loved one, a family member, a co-worker, and we don't know what God's going to do. We don't know if a seed will be planted in them and, and they'll come to know the Lord later. We don't know if they'll reject us and hate us forever. But ultimately, we have a choice to make when faced with a decision like this to share a message from God to other people. And what Jonah does is he doesn't want to have to deal with it. He doesn't like the fact that God could actually save these people. But if we go on, we'll see that his choices to disobey God didn't just affect him, but actually affected everybody else around him as well. Our bad choices don't just affect us. They create collateral damage. And we're going to see that what happens is, is God's like, you can't run from me. You aren't going to be able to get away from me. You can run as far as you can. I am the sovereign God who controls the wind and the waves and and all creation. And so he sends a storm Jonah's way. And for me, again, in my life, as I talked about some of the trials and discipline in my life that had happened through all my own choices and decisions, you know, there were storms in my life where I was scared for my life. There were times where I felt terrible about myself. There were times where my family was being affected by the choices and the decisions I was making. And maybe maybe this is a question for you here today. Like, do you feel like there's a storm in your life because you're running from God? Is there something that's just compelling you? Saying, man, I I don't know what it is, but I guess I need to be here. I don't really want to be here. Somebody drug me here to church here today. uh, But life's not going very well. I want you to know that most people, if not all people, come to the Lord, come to saving faith in Jesus Christ because they had some kind of trial or tribulation or pain or struggle in their life, and they got to this point where they said, enough's enough. I can't do this on my own. I need help outside of myself. I need God, if God is real, if God is as loving as people say he is, if God is the creator of the universe and everything in it, if he made me, then I probably should figure out who this God is. That's what happened in my life, by the way. I had had this Christian, you know, background growing up in the church. I knew the stories of the gospel and everything. I didn't really grow beyond kind of baby Christianity, though, you know, like first come into faith, only really knowing the basics. I never really grew beyond that. I didn't understand why be a part of a church, why should I serve, why should I be a part of a small group and have fellowship. I didn't understand any of that, and I think that's why I was, I was weak and fell into those things in the first place. I know you guys have a, a small group, kind of a, a parking lot, tailgate, Sunday thing going on to try to get people to join small groups. Well, I would say if you're in that storm or trial in your life right now, there's no better place to be than with God's people and to have accountability and to be able to share and walk with someone or to gain a person, a mentor that can help you with God's word that's a little bit farther along than you are, where you can have dialogue instead of just you know, sitting and hearing a guy talk at you on Sundays and then you go home. Like Small groups are a great way. To help you through the God created the church so that we weren't alone here on this earth that but we would have support to be able to take this message to the ends of the earth so not only are you I wanted you to ask that question for yourself are you in a struggle or a storm because you've been running from God but is your family members and friends being affected by your stubbornness by your stubbornness to go your own way rather than God's way. Let's go look at the rest of Jonah, uh, verses four and five. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. So what's going on here is that God ultimately sends the storm. Many people out there in the world think that God Created the earth and he just sits back and he's like, Okay, you guys figured out. I wound it up, you know, and and we'll just see how it all plays out. It's just gonna spin and spin and spin until it stops spinning. As if that's what God does and how He 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 leads us and how He governs and rules the world. But ultimately, no, God is intervening. You might not be able to see it all the time, but if you have faith you will understand that God is intervening. If you know the Bible, God has intervened in human history time and time and time again to get his people back on track and to save more people. He does that because he is a good God and he is so merciful and gracious. If he didn't do that and we were left here on our own, nobody would come to him if he didn't intervene and do something about it. And so the cool thing about this story, though, is that even though the sailors are scared, right? So they're, so they're, they're in the storm, the ship's breaking apart, and, and they go find Jonah. He's asleep on the boat somewhere, and they're like, what, what's happening here? Who, who are you, and where are you from? They could understand that this was a supernatural event happening. They weren't even believers, but somehow they were like, who is your God, and he's like, I am, you know, okay, I'll, let me spill the beans. I'm a prophet of God. I'm from, I'm a Hebrew from Israel and God's after me. And they're like, why would you do this to us? You know, we let you on the ship. You didn't tell us any of this. These guys are pagans. They have multiple gods. And, and so they start offering prayers up to their own gods. That's not working. And so then Jonah says, well, just throw me in the sea. I'm done for. He says, you know, he, he realizes God's so powerful, I can't escape him throw me into the water, and I think God will stop this storm. And they're like, no, we don't want to do that. But eventually, they do it. They throw him into the ocean, and the storm stops. And, and their reaction to it was, is great, because what ends up happening is that they get saved in the process of God chasing Jonah. They, they come to faith because they see the power of God being worked out in God's sovereignty, being able to control the wind and the waves. That's my last point. God is always at work, whether we're running to him or from him. Jonah 1.16, skipping past a couple of verses, the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Isn't that amazing? God is so merciful that while disciplining Jonah, he says, "You know what? I'm going to save these guys too. I'm going to show them my power. I'm going to reveal them myself to them." And they respond in the right way. I'm going to serve him. Unlike Jonah, who said, "I'm not going to do what he's asked me to do." They say, "You know what? The right thing to do for this holy powerful God is to get on our knees and worship." And say, I am going to serve this God. It's such a beautiful, beautiful story. And so what I want us to take away from that is, is that God is always at work even in our dumb decisions and our dumb choices. Even when we've ran from God and tried to get as far away from him as we possibly could... God is still working. He's, he's, he's omniscient. He knows everything. He exists outside of time. He knows every decision you're going to make and all the sins you're going to do before you even do them. He looks at your life and sees the beginning to the end and still loves you and me. That's what's amazing about God. And here's what it says in Romans 8.28 about this. And we know that God causes everything to work together For the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So, if you're a Christian here today, you are called. I believe every Christian is called by God to do the will of God, to serve him, to follow him. If you've been called, just know that every decision and every mistake you've ever made, God accounted for that. He looked forward in time and said, I know they're going to do this, but I'm going to fix this, and I'm going to use that, and they're going to learn, and they're going to grow, and I'm going to maybe even have to discipline like a loving father, but in the end, I can't thwart God's plans because God is bigger than all of my failures. He is bigger than all of your failures. We can't escape the love of God, as we learned a a series ago. We cannot Separate ourselves from God and try to run from him far enough to where he can't come and get us later in Romans 11 Paul says this For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He's not going to allow you to step down He's not going to allow you to step away and say God. No, I'm done with you. I'm going to run my own way And isn't that a loving thing for a loving father to do, though? I just recently, we have a six-month-old baby. And he's just barely learning how to, like, get up on his hands and knees and scoot around now. And it was like, this was the time I was dreading the whole time. You know, the cute little infant, they can't really do anything. They keep you up at night, but they're still just so cute that it kind of cancels that out. But when they get to the point where they start crawling... You have to be very attentive and aware all the time. And what's been happening is, is we set him in the living room. We got these little little gym thing to play on. But we've got this fireplace that's got some, some sharp corners and some hard spots. And we've got things all over the room, some wrought iron, kind of like end tables and stuff. He could pull things over on himself. And, and I find myself constantly having to get up and grab him and then redirect him put him here, right? You you parents know all about that, right? I constantly have to grab him and redirect him. Why? Because I love him. I don't want him to get hurt. Maybe sometimes I am going to let him learn from a little bit of pain. Not from the electrical socket though. <laughs> you know, I'll probably just <laughs> have to figure out something else for that. But, But I love him and he's not capable. He's you know, doesn't know enough, isn't at the place where he can actually understand that things are going to hurt him. Aren't we just giant babies? <laughs> you know, we're like like toddlers that have to, and God is our father, and he has to keep redirecting and redirecting. But that is love, though. It is so loving, and, and it is so so encouraging to me. It gives me so much confidence to know that my father is not going to let me go too far to where I can wander outside of his love. He's going to keep redirecting me and guiding me and helping me helping me to know what's my next step, what's my next plan, what's my purpose, what do you want me to do? Thank you for being so loving. I love God. We can't thwart his plans, even with all of our dumb decisions and choices, like so, so many of us are living in guilt and shame because we fail time and time again. Well, I want you to understand that the Bible is full of stories of men and women that have been so imperfect, but God has used them anyway. If he didn't use imperfect people, then there would be no one to use because everyone has fallen short of God's glorious standard. And we cannot thwart God's plan. A good prophet, Isaiah, one that did God's will, he says it like this. Remember, this is God speaking through him. Around probably a little bit about the same time of Jonah, maybe a hundred year difference. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my purpose. We can't thwart God's plans, we can't stop him. He's made provisions for all of our mistakes and our sins, and he's going to show his grace to us because God's grace for us gives him glory. For him to be able to forgive us over and over again and to, to set, set us straight and to wash us clean and to set us free and to forgive us of all of our sins, God has decided that that brings him the most glory. And he did that ultimately As we read on in the New Testament, through His Son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, He came down to be born like you and me in human flesh. And He walked this earth sinless and perfect and became the sacrifice for our sins to set us free, to pick us up and to put us back on the right path, back to following God once and for all. We can be saved by His work And it's by his grace, by the cross of Jesus Christ, that God gets the most glory. You see, we can't run around trying to be religious, trying to earn our way to God, because that actually brings the sacrifice of Christ down. It minimizes Christ. But God wants Christ to be magnified, and he gets the most glory. And he gets the most glory by us just accepting the fact that he loves us in spite of us. And he will do things, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he will do things to keep you and continue on the path. And that's my last verse from Jonah 1.17. We're going to get into it next week about this interesting thing that happens. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God says... Well, when, when Jonah was thrown into the ocean, he was going to drown because of this storm that God caused because of the decisions that Jonah had made. So God sends a storm, he's going to drown, but he saves him. This is a story of being saved, and it's pointing towards Jesus Christ. We're going to look at this later on in the series. Jesus even references Just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so Jesus Christ was in the earth for three days, and then he rose from the dead. And what happens? We'll find out. We'll find out what happens next week. Will he stay in that fish forever? Did he write a letter? (laughs) Did he pray a prayer? Uh, We're going to find out more about that next week, but today I just want you to understand The background and the overview of this chapter in Jonah is that God loved a terrible man and set him straight. And God even loved a a terrible nation and wanted to send them a message of repentance. So for you and for me, there's more hope and more grace available to us than even him, than even that nation. Would you guys pray with me?